Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. All right, so now comes the secret. I don't know why everybody doesn't look at this way, look at it this way, but I think it is the best way to understand Roth IRAs and and even IRAs, for example, And the secret is to use the appropriate measurement tool to measure money. What the heck am I talking about? The way most people measure money is whoever has the most wins. So let's say I have a million dollars in my IRA. And let's say that you have $900,000, but it's not in an IRA, it's in a plain brokerage account. So I have more money than you, right? I have a million, you only have 900,000. But I don't think that that is the appropriate measurement tool. I think the appropriate measurement tool, instead of being total dollars, is purchasing power. All right, why is that? Because if I have a million dollars in my IRA and I wanna spend some money, let's keep it simple and assume that the tax on it is 25 or let's even say 24%, and I have to pay tax on it, I can't go out and buy a million dollars of goods and services. I can maybe buy $760,000 of goods and services. Where you with your $900,000, which is less money, less total dollars than me, you can go out and buy $900,000 of goods and services because you have more purchasing power than I do. And what I would submit to you is the best way, particularly if you are retirement plan heavy, to understand your wealth, to understand uh, Roth IRAs, etc., is to use purchasing power as your measure of wealth, not total dollars. Okay? So why don't we do a quick example? Let's say that we both have $100,000 in a traditional IRA. Let's keep it real simple, that's all we have. We have $100,000 in a traditional IRA and we have $24,000 outside the IRA of what I'll call after-tax dollars. So how much money do we both have in total dollars? Well, we have 124,000, right? We have 100 in the IRA, we have 24,000 outside the IRA, so we each have $124,000. What is our respective purchasing power? Well, if we wanted to go out and buy goods and services, we have to cash in the IRA. Uh, So we have to add $100,000 to our income. Let's assume for discussion's sake that the tax on that comes to $24,000. In this example, we conveniently have the $24,000 from outside the IRA to pay the income taxes on the Roth, on the IRA distribution. So we each have $100,000 measured in purchasing power. Okay, so let's say that I say I'm going to be status quo. 
I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do a Roth IRA conversion. And let's say that you say, oh, gee, I think I want to make a Roth IRA conversion. So you take your $100,000 IRA, you generate some the appropriate paperwork, you get a 1099 from whoever is holding the IRA, whether it's TIA or Vanguard or you know, wherever it is, and uh, you pay the income taxes. Again, here we conveniently have the taxes that you have to pay on the Roth conversion from outside the IRA. And then as a result, you don't have the 24,000 anymore, but you have $100,000 in a Roth IRA. All right, now remember, I have $124,000 because I didn't do anything, but my purchasing power was only $100,000. How much tax do you have to pay when you cash in your IRA? I'm sorry, your Roth IRA? None. So you have the same purchasing power on day one that I have. Does everybody get that? See, what most so-called experts say is no, let's measure in total dollars. And if you measure in total dollars, here's what the result is. The result is that it takes so many years for the tax-free feature of the Roth IRA to overcome the taxes that you had to pay to make the Roth IRA. If you do the math, it might make sense for younger people, but it doesn't make sense for older people. And that's accurate if your measurement is total dollars. But if your measurement tool is purchasing power, which I would submit to you is the right measurement tool, then you have a much different situation because you have a break even literally on day one. Now, this is such an important concept that if there's any questions on this concept, I do want to get this, this hammered out. Um, and by the way, this is in my book and it's in the Roth book. And sometimes it takes, uh, you know, a couple times of hearing this or reading it. If you're an attorney, it might take a lot longer than that. Um, I'm an attorney, so I'm allowed to make fun of attorneys. I'll just say that attorneys aren't necessarily uh, so wonderful when it comes to math and uh, uh, quantitative concepts. But anyway, why don't we take a question or two on uh, anything I've talked to up to now. So Erica, do we have any questions in the queue on purchasing power, Roth IRA conversions, etc.? We do have a couple questions about Roths. And the first one is one that I think you'll be able to answer quickly, but that I think it's important uh, to get answered if anyone, including, but also outside of the uh, Ching who asked it, is still a, uh, in like, if this is still a gray area for them. So this is about the SECURE Act. Uh, Ching asked, with the SECURE Act, Roth IRAs will have to be distributed to non-spousal beneficiaries within 10 years. Does it apply to the whole amount or to the growth portion only? No. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Unfortunately, so with, all right, so you die with a, with a, a Roth IRA after the SECURE Act, and, and let's assume that, your, your non-spousal beneficiary doesn't meet any of the other exceptions. What happens then is that within 10 years, and let's just say for discussion's sake, it's $100,000. And let's say that unlike with a traditional inherited IRA, where it might make sense to take money out 
uh, on tax brackets and maybe take out a little bit each year or take money out when you're in your lowest tax bracket. With an inherited Roth IRA, what you're most likely to do, if you, that is you being the beneficiary of the inherited Roth IRA, have other money that you can spend, you're better off letting that inherited Roth IRA just continue to grow. So let's again assume 7% rate of return. Uh, let's assume that the inherited Roth IRA is $100,000. 10 years later, that $100,000 is now $200,000 um, in an inherited Roth, but it must come out. So there's no income taxes on that distribution from the inherited Roth IRA. But at that point, 10 years after death, it actually becomes a plain old brokerage account. And after the 10 years, actually the end of the anniversary date of, of death. But at the end of that 10 year period, um, it just becomes plain old after tax dollars. Um, so resulting uh, dividends, interest, capital gains um, will be taxable. So it's not just the growth, it will be the whole amount um, has to come out of the inherited Roth environment into just the plain uh, tax environment uh, after 10 years. But notice the strategy of an inherited Roth is much different than an inherited traditional because with an inherited traditional, since it's taxable when you take it out, it might make sense to take it out when you're in a low tax bracket. So let's say, for example, your child is... Uh, is maybe just starting their career or maybe they're in school or for some reason they're in a particularly low tax bracket, it might make sense for them to take some of that inherited IRA out and pay taxes at a low rate compared to, let's say, later in their career when they might be in a much higher bracket. Where with the Roth, if you can afford it, uh, wait for the entire 10 years after death and take it all out tax-free, including the growth. Uh, why don't we take one more on this one and then we'll move on. Great. Thanks, Jim. So this next question comes from Eric and he asks, if you're planning to gift your traditional IRA through a series of qualified charitable distributions, does it make any sense to do a Roth IRA conversion? Um, well, you don't really. Yeah, I, I think that what he's talking about is something called a qualified charitable deduction. And that is money going directly from your IRA to the charity. It's not income. You don't get a deduction. You don't get a charitable deduction for it. There's a lot of good reasons why you, and people call it a QCD. There's a lot of times, there's a lot of good reasons why you might do that. But interestingly, Eric, you happen to hit on one of my favorite strategies, which is combining IRA distributions um, I'm sorry, charitable contributions and uh, Roth IRA conversions. So in one case um, that, we, that we had, I'm gonna change some of the fact pattern a little bit to preserve confidentiality, but one professor wanted to literally make a million dollar uh, charitable contribution, but if they did that, they wouldn't get anywhere near the tax benefits because it far exceeded the 50% of adjusted gross income level and for bunch of reasons, making that million dollar charitable contribution um, just didn't make a lot of sense from a tax standpoint. But we ended up saying, hey, what if you do a Roth conversion of a million dollars? Let's forget about the 50% limitation for a moment. Um, 
we we said you do that the same year you do the charitable contribution and you end up in effect getting a Roth IRA conversion and you were able to take advantage of the tax benefits of the charitable contribution. In other cases, we actually had the parent um, make a significant contribution. In effect, it was the child's inheritance because that's what the child wanted. We had the parent do the Roth IRA, uh, that is the, the parent of the adult child, do the Roth IRA conversion. We just saved that family a ton of money. It was, it was wonderful. And, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit this morning, but the, so, the quote solution uh, for almost every professor is very rarely, I don't think ever, one thing. It's usually some combination of strategies and the combination of charitable contributions and Roth IRA conversions is often a winning uh, combination. So before I get into the next area, I will just mention um, we, we actually had quite a few uh, requests for consultations this morning. Um, if I am going to, at the end of the program, talk more at length about what the uh, Retire Secure consultation with me is about and what you can expect. But if you've heard enough and you say, hey, yeah, I want to talk to this guy, um, you can sign up for that now. That does not guarantee you a spot. Um, what it does do is it gets you in line um, for two potential services. One is let's call it traditional assets under management, um, typically with a 1% or lower fee of what, of what we manage or what we uh, oversee. Um, that is a relatively typical uh, fee. But in our case, the difference is you not only get the asset management, which, by the way, we can go on and on about the wonderful money manager and the funds that they use, but you get, also get us do all this work, how much of a Roth, how much you can spend, what's the best estate plan, reviewing your wills, reviewing your trust, reviewing your beneficiary designations, um, and putting together a whole master plan. Now, we do have a million-dollar minimum, um, and if you're not willing to... Uh, pay the fee on a million dollars. It probably doesn't make sense. But the other option that we have that we are potentially phasing out, uh, there's a high demand for it. The problem is we would prefer working on a continuing basis with clients every year. But for a one time, what, what we call the financial master plan, where we do everything that I've mentioned with the Roth conversion, the estate planning, the gift planning, reviewing your wills, making recommendations, dealing with the local estate attorney, et cetera. Um, we have two slots open right now. Then there's going to be a waiting list, to be fair. Uh, the fee on that is going to be between ten dollars and $15,000. And usually uh, $15,000 has been uh, more much more common than 10000 as we... Um, are getting a more national audience and the complexity and the time involved doing that uh, is getting greater and greater. So anyway, if you are interested in that, either a financial master plan or assets under management, you might want to, uh, there should be something in the chat where you can click on that and sign up. That will not stop you from hearing the uh, program as we continue. So you might say, okay, Jim, Going back to where you were, you you convinced me that 
um, if assuming tax brackets are flat, and remember, by the way, they're probably going up, which even enhances the value of the Roth conversion. But even assuming a flat income tax, what is the difference measured in purchasing power and even taking inflation into account between doing a series of Roth conversions and doing nothing? Okay. The difference can be hundred can be over a million dollars starting as late as age 62. Uh, in this particular set of uh, example, the difference, it was over a million dollars by doing a series of Roth IRA conversions. In this case, $150,000 a year for eight years measured in purchasing power, taking not only into consideration, not only the money that you use to pay for the conversion, but also the opportunity cost or the missed interest that that you didn't get because you used that money to pay taxes. Um, again, going back to what we said in the morning, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except for the Roth. Now, let's assume for discussion's sake that you do this series of conversions and now you're gone and let's take a look at the advantage over your for your children. And that could easily be hundreds of thousands of dollars, again, depending on um, what uh, assumptions you use. So a lot of times people think, oh, Roth IRA conversions are great for the next generation, but I'm the one that has to pay the tax. And that might be true if you're measuring in total dollars, but if you're measuring in purchasing power, you might be much, much better off and that doesn't even include the fact that income tax rates are likely to go up and estate tax rates are likely to, the exclusion is likely to come down significantly. So this is a, this is a big deal. This is one of the best defenses against the SECURE Act that professors have. And I, again, it was even good before the SECURE Act. Now, to do nothing with the SECURE Act and the, um, the sunset provisions of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, which sunsets in 2026, to not be proactive, both you and your family are just gonna get clobbered in taxes. And for those of you who know me or know of me, you know I can't stand that. I wanna be very proactive. I wanna run the numbers. And I don't know how to say it nicely because sometimes think people think it's my opinion. I'm going to say it is a matter of math, whether it makes sense to do a Roth IRA conversion or not a Roth IRA conversion, and then how much of a Roth IRA conversion, and then when. And again, this can all be modeled on spreadsheets that can be proven, and we can use most any assumptions that you like. It's not like, you know, you like Barbara Streisand, I like Whitney Houston, and we can argue uh, forever because uh, there's no objective measure. But if you use purchasing power as an objective measure, you can say, well, this series of Roth IRA conversions worked out X dollars better than nothing, which worked out maybe half as good as this other series of Roth conversions. Again, it's not a matter of opinion. It is a matter of math. Now, obviously, there's important considerations. Do you have the money? In my example, 
I conveniently had the money to pay the tax on the Roth IRA conversion from outside the IRA. Maybe you don't have that. Um, are you headed for a higher income when your minimum required distribution of Social Security hit? I have a lot of professors who have higher income after they are retired than when they were working because their minimum required distribution and their Social Security exceeded their salary. And then if you are married now, um, eventually one of you will die and the other will likely survive. Yes, there's some simultaneous deaths, but typically there are there's a period between the first and the second death. Uh, a lot of times the assets and the income uh, tend to be similar. Maybe you're at one Social Security instead of two, but a lot of times the income is relatively uh, consistent even after the first death. And guess what? Now the survivor after the year of death has to file single. So their tax rate goes up just because they're filing single. So again, it really makes a lot of sense to consider getting money from the taxable to the tax-free environment, Roth IRA conversions, and also we didn't talk about it a lot, but if you don't have IRA money and the money is still in your retirement plan, to have a Roth 403B conversion or a Roth 401A conversion uh, is conceptually uh, very similar. So one of the problems that a lot of our professors have, I talked about that uh, not all that atypical situation where the professor is paying for the mortgage and the house payments and the braces and their own kids' college and pretty hard to accumulate after-tax dollars, but their IRAs and retirement plans continue to roll. So let's say you have a whole bunch of money in your retirement plan and not much else. Where are you going to get the money to pay the tax on a Roth conversion. We actually did a radio show on this, and in some circumstances, it does make some sense to use money from the IRA itself to pay tax on a Roth IRA conversion. Um, here is a what mathematically might be a better solution, because what we really need is we need a tax-free source of money to pay the tax on the Roth conversion, and by the way, often to pay for living expenses. So where are most professors who are retirement plan heavy going to come up with a tax-free source of money? And it might be a home equity loan uh, on your house because if you take a home equity, let's say a line of credit, and you take a chunk of money from your, uh, from your line of credit based on the equity of your house, that those proceeds are not subject to income taxes. You use that money to, let's say, fund living and potentially fund a series of Roth conversions, uh, ultimately paying the money back uh, after you hit minimum required distributions when you're in a higher tax bracket. We've run the numbers a lot of times, and that ends up often being a winning strategy. Now, to be fair, it might not pass the stomach test. Uh, if you can't sleep well at night, then, then obviously don't even think about it. Sleeping well at night is more important than absolutely maximizing your Roth IRA conversion. But a lot of people sleep quite well at night, uh, even with a home equity loan, and uh, it makes sense. And we have documented that. Uh, we wrote an article that was published by Forbes.com. I'm a regular uh, paid contributor there. 
Uh, it was the article was called "Let Your House Pay for Your Roth IRA Conversion." You go to Forbes.com. You can look, look it up and read it. But a lot of times, if it passes the stomach test, there's a reasonable chance that it's also going to pass the math test if you do the appropriate conversion with the appropriate amount over most likely a series of years. The other thing that is important is the Medicare Part B premium. So um, I live in, in practice in, in Pittsburgh and probably I have two groups, uh, niches if you will, uh, more than any other clients. And that is uh, college professors, which is number one. And the second are engineers, which interestingly, even though there's considerable political differences, financially, they tend to end up in the same position, which is retirement plan heavy. So a lot of the engineers uh, that I meet happen to be Westinghouse retirees. I've been, there's a group called the Westinghouse Shore Group, which is a bunch of Westinghouse retirees. And I've been giving talks to this group for probably about 20 years now. I've attracted quite a few as clients. It is, and, and they're very up on Roth IRA conversions. They, they, they get it. I've, I've, again, I've drilled it into their heads over the last 20 years, so they can't stand it anymore. Uh, but many of them have this thing. It is almost a religion. Most of these are their guys, or some women. It is almost a religion with these guys to make a Roth IRA conversion, but never ever convert an amount that will cost them one additional dollar in a Medicare Part B premium. It, it's unbelievable with these guys. And you can show them numbers till they're blue in the face and it's still pretty hard to convince them. Can you imagine that, a stubborn engineer? Well, certainly I wouldn't be married to a stubborn engineer. I better watch it. I don't think she's listening. But anyway, again, my wife has a master's in electrical engineering uh, from, Car from Carnegie Mellon. She's actually a pretty, pretty uh, smart cookie. And she is uh, data-driven. I was able to convince her to do this $249,000 Roth conversion. But anyway, I will admit you have to take into consideration the additional premiums that you might be triggering by, get, by doing additional income on the Roth conversion, but that's only one factor. And if you think about it in the long run, what's gonna happen is it's gonna reduce your minimum required distribution, which might in the future reduce your Medicare Part B premium. So I, I'm not saying it's not a factor. It certainly is. You have to take it into consideration. We do when we run the numbers, but I will tell you that it isn't the sole thing that you should uh, be thinking about. So before I go into other strategies, again, I wanted to uh, give you a chance to ask any more questions. So Erica, do we have any questions in the queue right now? We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lying Money Hour where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 
2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.